We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let me give you a quick rundown of what we covered this morning for those that maybe couldn't be with us in the morning service. We look at 1 Corinthians 13 and we see the great chapter on love, but there's so much more going on there. And, and we've been looking at a lot of things from the perspective of revival, particularly on Wednesday nights. And we look to this passage of Scripture, this chapter, and we find that there are really two missing ingredients to revival as it's laid out in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. And we talked about the first missing ingredient this morning. The first missing ingredient this morning is proper motivation. There is only one, there's only one thing that should be our primary motivation in everything that we do, and that's love. Love for God and love for others. We're talking about agape love. We're talking about a love that, that, uh, that, that knows no limits, a love that's a decision, regardless of whether or not it's, it's been returned to us. It's got nothing to do with feelings. Agape love, most clearly demonstrated in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but of everlasting life. We, we saw that love defined, agape love, and we saw it described uh, in those 16 things that, that Paul gives us in verses 4 through 8, from love suffereth long to love never faileth. Um, then we saw love demonstrated, and we read some verses about how God loves us and how we're to love one another because love is demanded. He demands that we love one another and that we love him. And then finally, what makes love distinct? What makes it so important? Well, it, ca- it ca- Christianizes our identity, and it confirms our identity, and it capitalizes on our identity. Now, tonight is the second ingredient. Perhaps we're not seeing revival, first of all, because we don't have the proper motivation. But then tonight, it could very well be because of personal maturity and the lack thereof. 1 Corinthians 13, verse number 11. Paul says, when I was a child, I spake as a child, understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Father, would you help us tonight as we look to your word? It's my intention to be brief. But Lord, I want to be at it as long as you want me to. And I want to cover whatever you want me to cover. And I want to leave out whatever you want me to leave out. I just want to be used of you tonight. Lord, would you speak to our hearts in an unusual way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, at first glance, we notice something interesting in Paul's statement in verse number 11. It mirrors the three major sign gifts that he highlights in verse number 8. Look at verse number 8. Charity never faileth. That means it has no limits. But whether there be prophecies, there's one, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. So in verse number 11, he's still referencing that. He says, I spake as a child. Tongues. He says, I understood as a child. That ties into knowledge. And he says, I thought or I reasoned as a child. That ties into prophecies. There is a connection there, but this is noteworthy, but I don't want to focus on it. I want to look at Paul's actual statement and see how it relates to real revival in our lives. Because I truly believe that one of the great obstacles to the moving of God throughout churches in America and throughout the world is because our churches are filled with immature Christians. By the way, sometimes they're pastored by immature pastors. We, we would be quick to say that we know, we know adults in our lives that are immature. 
But when we take it to the level of spiritual things, would you agree with me? There's some people that should act better than what they do, given how long they've been saved. You know? So let's just take, take a look at, at, at a couple of things here tonight regarding personal maturity. First of all, the fruit of immaturity. The fruit of immaturity. As we get into this, it's helpful to know what a child is. He said, when I, when I was a child... I spake as a child. There's several words in the Bible for child, and, and the word that's used is significant. And the word that's used here is, is the word nepios, which means infant. We're not talking about a young child, a toddler, or, or a pre-adolescent. We're talking about an infant. In fact, elsewhere, that's translated babe. So, so we're talking about a little baby. It says, when I was a little baby... I spake as a child, understood as a child, I thought as a child. Paul is comparing an immature Christian to a baby. A little baby. As our friends in Scotland would say, a wee barn. Tiny little baby. Now, if you know 1 Corinthians, you know he's already touched on this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, brethren meaning saved people, people that are on their way to heaven, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. Can we be reminded that carnal doesn't mean unsaved? Carnal means fleshly. Can you be saved and on your way to heaven and be driven by your flesh? And the answer is absolutely. He's talking to Christians here. I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes, same word, in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. Why? For ye are yet carnal. You haven't grown. You haven't matured. See? So, if this is the fruit of immaturity, what, what characteristics do we see in infants that you would also see in immature Christians? Can I give you three? This isn't all of them, but can I give you three? How about this? How about dependence? A- an infant depends on others to do everything for them, don't they? Let's look at two in particular. They depend on others for sustenance. Right? And an infant an infant doesn't come in and say, uh, Mom, I'm kind of hungry. If you don't mind, I'm going to go get something out of the fridge. No. An infant is completely dependent upon mom for sustenance. Well, what do we see in an immature Christian? An immature Christian allows themselves to get whatever feeding they get from the preacher and the Sunday school teacher, but they don't do anything to feed themselves. Now, don't get me wrong. It's my privilege and honor to preach and to teach, and I'm glad to do it. But if you think that you're getting every, all the sustenance you need spiritually on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, or Sunday school, you're malnourished. The Bereans in Acts 17.11 were commended. It said they were more noble than they in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Let me ask you a question. Have you been eating this week? 
Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm trying to help you here. You come to me with any question you want. But before you do, ask yourself this question. Am I willing to dig after this myself? Not because I don't want to do my job, but because you won't strengthen as a Christian if you maintain a complete and total dependence on other people to get the sustenance from the Word of God you need. You see, little babies are dependent in the matter of their sustenance. You know what else they're dependent on? In the matter of their sanitation. Here we go. If a little baby makes a mess, they depend on others to clean it up. When my children were infants... Periodically, they would bring about corruption to their outfit. Can I tell you, never once did they crawl through the room and say, Well, I did it again. I'll be in my room. (laughs) No. They were dependent on me. Or my wife, I do my very best to not be around. I changed a few, but I did my best. And there were occasions where I'm like, I just can't. This is beyond the scope of my ability. Can I tell you something, friend? I love you. It's not other people's responsibility to make sure your life is as clean as it ought to be. Well, my life is a mess, and it's that one's responsibility, and it's that one's fault, and they did it, and they didn't help me, and they weren't there for me. That is immature Christianity. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't times that we're not supportive like we should be, but the fact is, if we're immature in our our faith... We look for ways to make our sanitation other people's problems. Can I remind you of what Paul told the Romans, Romans 14, 12? So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Here's the thing. God forbid, but if everybody in this church turned on me and said, we're done with you, you're out of here. And then I get bitter at God and I never serve him again. Guess whose fault that is? That's not your fault. That's my fault. Now, I don't want you to try me on that. But staying clean is my responsibility. So we see that infants are like immature Christians in the matter of their dependence. You know what else? In the matter of their deception. Now, Brother Snyder has told me that this does not apply to his precious little grandbaby. But with the exception of that child... Everybody in here knows that babies lie. And nobody has to teach them, do they? It is default factory setting. They know how to lie. They figure out real quick, when I cry and make them think something's wrong, they'll pick me up. So even when nothing's wrong, I'm going to cry as though something is wrong. I'm going to deceive 
my parents. And if my parents don't fall for this, then my grandparents will. (laughs) Or they will be like Adam and willingly walk into the deception, knowing that it's a deception, and do it anyway. Babies cry one thing, but the issue is another. And you know what? Immature believers, they'll cry about one thing, but the issue is another. I had a conversation with somebody the other day who is not a part of this church. You wouldn't know who they are, but, but friends that I have, different parts of the country. And they called me the other day and they said, I'm really struggling with whether or not we need to leave our church. And because I know this person, and I know as best I can know somebody's heart, I know their heart, and I know they want to live for God, they love God, they want to serve him. When they use a term like, I just, we're not getting fed, we're not growing, we're not getting what we need, I believe them. I believe them. But we know that sometimes that's something that's thrown around. Well, I'm not in church. By the way, I'm not in church anymore. Because I wasn't getting fed. If God's moving you, he won't move you away from church altogether. He'll move you to a different one. He won't move you away from his house. He'll move you to another one. So, so the first thing is, when you're sitting at home and you haven't darkened the door of a church in months because, because of something that supposedly happened, let me tell you something. You're saying one thing, but something else is going on. COVID revealed that, didn't it? COVID was tough on everybody. But there was a whole lot of people that were looking for a reason. And they've never been back. Deception. Deception. In the matter of dependence, in the matter of deception, and in the matter of discipline. What do I mean by discipline? I mean self-control. A little baby wants what they want, and they want it right now. And immature Christians, we want what we want. And we want it right now. And if we don't get what we want, and if we are not preeminent in the thinking of whatever is going on, what do we do? We pitch a hissy fit. But here's the thing. This isn't immature. This is just the fruit of it. This is just what's showing us that it exists. Dependence, deception, discipline. So now what we need to do is we need to go from the fruit and we need to dig down into the root. What is producing this fruit? What is the root of Christian immaturity? See, these characteristics are but symptoms. And we get a lot of instruction when we look at the order that Paul uses. Watch this. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. Now, I want you to notice the order. First of all, a baby, when he, when he or she speaks, are, are they really saying words? No, they're just cooing and you know, making little weird noises that babies make. Are you talking to me? No, they're not talking to you. They're making noises. But we say, are you talking to me? I don't know why. 
Now, where it becomes a problem is when you're 30 and still doing that. And I do have moments. My wife will ask me something, and I'll be like, uh, uh, yeah. And I got no answer. But what do babies do? Look at their development. They speak. Then as they grow, they understand, meaning they grasp concepts. And then they learn how to think. They learn how to reason. And this is often the characteristic of an immature Christian. We speak before we understand and before we've thought it through. What should be happening with a mature Christian? We begin with thinking. We reason. And then we come to an understanding. We grasp the concept and then we speak. So, so what's the root of this whole thing? We've got the order backwards. We want to speak. We want to communicate. We want to get our thoughts out there before we've even taken time to think about it. That's the root of our immaturity. I must be heard. I must be known. I must be acknowledged. And then I'll think about it later. And yet the Bible says we're to be slow to speak. Right? I'm guilty of it, y'all. I am learning finally. I am learning when somebody comes to me with something. I am not required to speak on it immediately, and I'm getting more and more um, adept at saying, you know what, you're going to have to give me some time to work through that. In fact, there are very few situations in which my initial reaction is a good one. All right? So then how do we grow out of immaturity? How do we develop beyond this stage? Well, just as with love, which is the whole thrust of this chapter, it's involving a decision that transcends feelings. You know why we don't tend to mature and why we don't grow out of things? Because we like it. We, we develop an attachment to it. Whether it's a blanket, a pacifier, something that we know is time to let go, but we don't because we like it. We find comfort in it. Now, here's where this really gets difficult. A lot of times, what we need to let go of isn't wrong in and of itself. It's just not best. And if we're going to grow, we need to stop living according to what is good and start living according to what is best. Something that 
I'll spend my whole life and my whole ministry learning. As your pastor and the decisions that I'm called upon to make, do I want to do what's good or do I want to do what's best? As a young pastor, I wanted to do what was good because I went to that church and that was good. And I saw this over here and that was good. And I liked that and that was comfortable and that's what I'm used to. But as you grow, you start realizing not everything that's good is where you need to stay. It's time to move to what's best. With our families. If we're satisfied with what's good, our families are never going to thrive. They'll survive, but they won't thrive. We need to shoot for what's best. What's good is when my kid succeeds, and what's best sometimes is when they fail. And it has to be a decision. Just like agape love, it has to be a decision. What does Paul say? He says, when I became a man, I what? I put away. Now, in our understanding of English, we think of putting away as like putting in a drawer or hiding up in the bottom. No. Put away literally means to destroy. To destroy. Another way is is to put down. If you've got a pet that has come to a place where it's time and you have to put them down, that's, that's got a certain finality to it, doesn't it? I have a beagle that's coming dangerously close. He's not sick. He's just coming close. Five o'clock this morning, he's down in his crate. So I'm thinking, oh, no, he's got to go to the bathroom. So I jump out of bed, and I run down there, and I put him on his lead, and he shoots outside and sits down on the porch. He almost got put down this morning. (laughs) Now, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I know of a young man who it's reached a point in his life that he needs to let go of something in his life. He needs it terribly when he's sleeping especially, but it's time to let it go. And we've told him when you turn five, It's gone. Now, what are we going to do? Are we going to tell you, no, you put that in that drawer and you leave it there? No, because what happens? It's not going to stay in that drawer. So you know what has to happen? It must be put down. It must be destroyed. What do you have in your life? As uncomfortable as it may be, you know that it is holding you back from being the best Christian you can be. I'm not asking you what's wrong in your life. Obviously, you should get rid of something that's wrong in your life. If, you're, if, you're, if you've got God, ungodly music in your life, you need to get rid of that as a matter of obedience. That has nothing to do with maturity. That's just obedience. Well, my favorite show is just full of cussing and sex and violence. Okay, that's a matter of obedience. Get rid of that. I'll set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Get rid of that. But what's in your life that maybe isn't quote-unquote wrong? 
but it's keeping you from being everything you can be for Jesus. There's nothing wrong with fishing, but if I'm fishing every Sunday, that's a problem. Nothing wrong with having friends, but if I've got friends that draw me away from the Lord Jesus, guess what? That's a problem. What's in your life that is keeping you from being the mature Christian God intends for you to be? You've got to put it down. You've got to put it down. Well, I'll cut back. Can I tell you something? That doesn't work. I've tried it. I've tried cutting back on things I shouldn't be eating. I've tried cutting back on sodas and, you know, I have, I've done my very best to like diet sodas and I just can't get there. And I hearken back to the multiple reports that say they're just as bad for you as the regular ones. Well, good, then I'll drink the regular ones. <sighs> well, Andy, you need to drink water. <sighs> I don't want water. I want something with taste and with properties of some sort, something that I know has been there. But the fact is, if I'm going to be everything I ought to be, I've got to put that stuff down. I've got to put it away. Paul says, if you want to be the mature Christian you're supposed to be, if you don't want to remain a childish Christian, it's time to be a man, be a woman, and put away childish things. Now, I could give you a list of possibilities, but I don't need to. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit, if you'll let him tonight, he will identify areas of immaturity. He will lead you to accept responsibility for them, and he will prompt you to do what you must to remove them. And until we do this, we will not see revival like we could here. So that's our so what. What is in my life that I need to put away? It's just that direct. It's just that blunt. Because if we're going to see revival, we've got, we've got to have proper motivation. Love. And there has got to be personal maturity. Because these are two missing ingredients of revival.